Lord God, we just want to thank and praise you that you are with us as we are gathered with one another and that you have given us your word that you might actively speak through the presence of your spirit with us and through us as we open up these pages that we might be changed, that we would receive a greater awareness of your presence and leave this place more like you than when we came. It is in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If you would, would you take out your Bible and open it up? If you don't have a Bible, take the one out in front of you. It's important that you do this. And we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If you don't own a Bible, the one in front of you is our gift to you, made possible by the Dwayne Arnold Bible Fund. It would be our privilege and honor of Dwayne if you would take that Bible and have it with you wherever you go. We're in Exodus chapter 3 beginning at verse 1, and I was about to just read it to you, but we're actually going to read it together as we go through. So open it up, have it in front of you, and then just kind of put your finger there for just a moment. I want to ask you, when was the last time that you had to go back and retrace your steps? Anybody had to do that this morning already? A couple of you. We had a couple of you at the early service too. You think, you know, they come early. They must have it more together than the rest of us. Not necessarily the case. And so we can probably all relate. Maybe you lost something. Maybe it was something that was so essential that you couldn't actually leave the house without finding it. And so you had to go back and you had to find what it is that you left behind so that you can move on. This, just this week, I... I lost my wallet. <laughs> and actually, don't, don't groan because I lose my wallet all the time. <laughs> and when I say lose, I don't mean like I misplaced it. I mean that I've left it in one of several predictable places that I just don't remember which place I left it. And so it could be in the, in the laundry room at our house. It could be in the car. It could be in my... I just told you all the places if you want to steal my wallet. That's, that's where it is. It's one of those three places and for years, whenever this would happen, because this has been a problem for me as long as I've had a wallet, I would have to run the circuit in all of those places until I found what it is that I was looking for. Usually while my wife Alyssa and the kids are sitting in the minivan going, Dad lost his wallet again, and they just want me to find what I was looking for and go back and get it so that we can go to where it is we were meant to be going. And so this last week I lost my wallet and I haven't had that same kind of experience of feverishly running around, lots of anxiety. I actually haven't had that experience in quite some time, a couple of years. And it's not because I have stopped losing my wallet, but a couple of years ago I bought one of these. Does anybody know what this is? It's called an AirTag. Does anybody else have an AirTag? Show of hands, no, you are all better than I am. Eight o'clock service, there were a couple people that were like me, so I had some, some, some familiarity and, and, and some comfort. I bought one of these. It, if you don't know what this is, it connects to your cell phone. You can put it in your wallet or in anything, which actually makes me think now that it's not in my wallet. I don't know where my wallet is. But anyway, that's not part of the sermon. So, so what it does is it connects to your cell phone and it tells you where the last place was that you left that particular item so that you can go back and find it. And the closer you get to it, it actually beeps 
so that you can grab that thing and go to where it is that you were meant to be going. And this is not new technology, even though Apple just came out with this one a few years ago. These things have been in existence for over a decade. And my wife has been telling me to buy one for over a decade. But I'll just be really honest with you. The reason why I haven't bought one up to this point is because I would tell myself I'm the problem. I should be more responsible. I mean, I'm an adult, right? Don't adults never lose their wallet or their car keys? I'm glad not everybody here is an adult either. (laughs) But this, I mean, I'm just being real with you. I would beat myself up and say, I'm not wasting my money on that. I need to figure it out. I need to be responsible. But there was this point, probably when AirTags went on sale, when I thought to myself, you know, I could spend the rest of my life beating myself up for this thing, or I can accept some help in the form of this little device that will take me back to where I was so that I can move forward to where it is that I'm going. And so this last week I lost my wallet, but it wasn't a big deal because I just took out my phone. I went back to exactly where my wallet was left. I heard the beep. I picked it up and I moved on. And I thought in that moment that could be a modern day parable for life. Because we've all been through this, haven't we? You ever gone to counseling? Have you learned that sometimes the only way forward is to go back to where it is that you were before? And in our reading today, before the advent of air tags or cell phones or modern electricity, God used a primitive device. He used a burning bush to call Moses back to where he was so that he and God's people could move forward into the future that God had for them that would change the world. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We need to go back a little bit before we go forward. Today, we are starting a new sermon series we're calling Through the Waters. It's part of a bigger series um, that we're taking nine months to kind of go through the whole Bible. You're in the perfect time. Just started a few weeks ago. Um, It's easy for you to catch up with this. We started in Genesis. We talked about creation for one week, um, and then we talked about Abraham and Sarah. Remember their family, and in their old age, um, they had a child, Isaac, right? And um, I was doing my Bible study on Tuesday mornings, and we had a number of people that said that they would self-identify as old age, too. I'm putting it on them, not me. And they said, that is a terrifying story, Pastor Tom. (laughs) I don't want to be told that I'm going to have a child in my 90s. Like, that's just not, not something that most people would see as a blessing. But we see that it's actually a part of something bigger. It was God's promise to Abraham. And it's found in Genesis chapter 12. God said to him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make you a, your name great and you will be a what? blessing. And despite the foibles of man that we see alive and well in Abraham and in ourselves, what do we see? We saw fear. We saw lack of faith. We saw taking matters into our own hands when we don't trust God's timeline in our lives. In the midst of all of that, God is still faithful because this promise is so much more than just about Abraham. And so they end up having a son, Isaac, and Isaac goes on to have a son, Jacob, and Bill Gross covered all the genealogy last week. Didn't he do a wonderful job, those of you that were with us? All I could think about as I was listening to him was that song from Sunday School, Father Abraham 
had many sons. If you grew up in Sunday school, you remember that. He did a wonderful job. Go back and watch it. It's important information if you missed it last week. But ultimately, Jacob has 12 sons, some daughters too, but the 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Their descendants would. But before all of that, we need to go back to just their family, and we need to name that they were quite a dysfunctional family. Jacob played favorites with his children. He actually picked one child that was his favorite, and that was their son, Joseph. That was his favorite. Everybody knew. Now, I don't have 12 kids. I have five. But do you know which one of my kids is my favorite? You know which one I love more than all of the other children? Do you know which one it is? None of them. (laughs) None of them. But you know why? Because that's messed up. Were you waiting for me to say something? (laughs) Like, some of you even had examples. (laughs) That's terrible, right? They can go back on YouTube and watch this and say, Dad said that's the, no, that messes with your kids. It messes with you. You don't have favorites. I love all my kids the same. We all want to do that. And you imagine to yourself, what would that take? What would that do to a family? Well, you don't have to imagine because unlike what I just said to you, Jacob was not shy about who his favorite was. It was Joseph. And it got to Joseph's head. He became arrogant. His brothers became jealous. And they actually set out to kill him. And a series of events ended up selling him into slavery instead. And he ends up going to Egypt. And his entire life there is up and down. And yet God is faithful through all of it. Ends up putting Joseph in charge in this incredible position of authority in Egypt. He finds favor with the Pharaoh. And he's used by God to save not just Egypt, but his own family. His family comes in a famine for food. And they meet their brother. These brothers do. And suddenly their mind is transformed back to their past where they tried to kill him and they sold him off. And they're terrified that he's going to get back at them for all of this stuff. And at the end of Genesis, there's this beautiful scene in the midst of their reunification in Genesis 50, verse 20. It says this. This is Joseph speaking. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Isn't that a beautiful ending? (laughs) I mean, I, I just, I stop there and I want to tear up, right? Because we all live in dysfunctional families. If, how many of you are a part of a family? Show, up, show of hands, it's dysfunctional. <laughs> it, it, it just is. There's, there's no such thing that, that isn't, right? I mean, it's part of the fall. And so what a beautiful ending here. And it would be great if that was the ending of the Bible, but we're not even into the second book of it yet, are we? And so we have to keep going. Fast forward 400 years, the sons of Jacob, the tribes of Israel, have been living in Egypt for generations. And just like God said, their population has exploded, but their favor with the Pharaoh is gone. Actually, Joseph is not even a distant memory, and they are all slaves. And so you go back to Genesis 50, and you're like, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good? How could God intend this for good. And the way to answer that question is that we have to go back to where we were in order to go forward to where God 
is going. And it's the story of an infant Hebrew boy from the tribe of Levi. And at this moment, Hebrew children, men and boys in particular, had been commanded by the Pharaoh to be thrown into the Nile River. They were to be killed. And so this little boy, he was put into the river, but he was put in a basket. And the Pharaoh's daughter happened to go down to the river and saw this little boy floating down the river. She ended up raising him in the midst of Egyptian royalty. And it says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, she named him Moses, saying what? I drew him out of the water. And what we're going to learn here is it's not just a name, but God is calling Moses out of something, eventually is going to call all of Israel out of something and into something else. And I'm going to say this a lot over the next nine months, but you're going to have some patterns that you're going to see in Scripture that you might read about in one story, and then you find it in another story someplace else. This is one of those Places You can see glimpses of this in your own life. When you're called into something, you've got to be by nature called out of something else, right? Like if you're, if you're called into marriage, you're called out of singlehood. If, if you're called uh, into a new job, you're called out of the old job. If you're called to root for the Chicago Bears during football season, you're called out of ever celebrating a win ever again, I just had to say it. It's a bad year. It's taken me like three weeks to, 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 to come up with that. It's just that painful. That was not in my transcript. Where did I leave off here? <laughs> you can see the same thing in the Bible. Joseph, right? What was he called out of, right? He's called out of his family into slavery, but he was called into the nation of the Egyptians. And now Moses is being called out of the water and called into the family of the Pharaoh. And and here's the thing, right? Like, you should be excited right now. Anybody should be excited if you're ever in a circumstance that you just wish God had the power to pluck you out and rescue you. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe that's how you came into church. You're just praying. While we were singing the opening songs, you weren't even singing. You were just asking God, would you rescue me? Would you pull me out of this financial circumstance I'm in, this relational turmoil I found myself in, this job I can't stand it anymore. Would you just pluck me out? We have all experienced circumstances where we want God to draw us out. And so here we've got that. Moses is plucked out and placed in a place of royalty. And you would be forgiven if you think that he has won the lottery. He has got it made. And yet I also have to point out another pattern here we see in Scripture in our own lives. And that is that there is a difference between being called out of something and running away from something. And Moses is going to experience both. And I don't know about you, but when I think of the things that I just pray God is going to pluck me out of, those are the things that if I had a head start, (laughs) I would run away from. Isn't that the same for you? We want to run away from those things. And the problem with running away is that you chase yourself wherever you go, don't you? Your past carries on with you. You've all heard it said you can't run away from your past, whether it's your family or your wallet or 
your job or your innocence. We, we've got this terrible habit that we go wherever we go. And you see that in the life of Moses, right? He witnesses, for example, in chapter 2, firsthand injustice that the hands of the Egyptians um, by his own people, they're the ones who are on the receiving end of this. And in this particular example, verse 11, it says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. See, his, his family, who he is, is in his bones. It doesn't matter where he grew up, it's who he is. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. He committed premeditated murder. And word got back to the Pharaoh and Moses had to run for his life. And he ran to a place called Midian and he met his wife there and he tries to live this quiet, secluded life having run away from all of that. And it's that place that we begin our actual reading for today in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. Excuse me. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he had led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and I will see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. You know what I'm hearing right now? Beep, beep. Beep, 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 beep. God's saying, Moses, you forgot something back there. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And aren't you afraid too? When God forces you to face your past. Because see, that's actually what's really happening here. And, and we always read this and assume, I shouldn't say we always, but how many of us have assumed in the past when you read this that the thing that, that Moses is really afraid of is the burning bush? That sounds scary, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, fire is scary. It's not anything to be messed with. But when he sees the flames, he gets closer, even when he hears the voice, it doesn't immediately fall. It cause him to fall on his face. What's scarier than any of those things is his past. God says through the voice in the burning bush, I am the God of your ancestors. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses is thinking that if you were there with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you must have been there with me when I killed the Egyptian. And back in all the other chapters of the past of my life. Because see, if God is really God, that means God has been with us through everything. And if you think back and everything you've been through, and you think about the sin and the shame and all those kinds of things you don't want to go back to, that can be a terrifying thought, can't it? We can all relate to that. That's what Moses is afraid of. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard the crying out of their voices because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now, I just want to point something out here before we get any further than this. God will never call you back into your past unless it is for the purpose of forgiving you, redeeming you, and calling you into the future. And that's exactly what we have here. That's what God is doing through Moses. He hears the injustice. He sees the pain of his people, and he is going to save them. And that's the point you should start to get excited about, because you think, how is God going to do it? This is God, right? Is he going to send a a bolt of lightning down? Is is he going to perform this miraculous earthquake? Like, what could God possibly have up God's sleeve to save these people from slavery and ultimately use them to save the world? Here's his plan, verse 10, God says to Moses, go, I'm sending you. (laughs) I'm sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Can you not hear Moses' train of thought right now? Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You had me until me. (laughs) You're going to send me where? You're going to send me to to that path? Like, have you ever lost something or you forgot something? Maybe, maybe it was like a piece of Tupperware or something. You were at some social gathering and you've decided that it would be so awkward or weird to go back that you just don't need it anymore and you leave it behind, right? That's like a silly example. I was thinking of another one just recently. It's like six months ago, we took our kids to the barber. I don't go to the barber, but my kids do. And, and, and so we took them to the barber. They're all getting their hair cut. And our youngest, who was a year and a half at the time, Grayson, He had a pacifier in his mouth. And as I was leaving with him to sit in the car and wait for the other kids to be done, the pacifier popped out of his mouth. And I didn't realize it until I was about to walk out. And I turned around, and the barber picked it up off the ground. And I swear, it was a pacifier when it fell out. It was a Pomeranian dog when it came up. It was disgusting. Anybody who's ever had their hair cut at this barbershop in Elkhorn in the last 20 years, there was a little bit of you (laughs) on that pacifier. And the person said, here you go, you forgot something. And you know what I thought? Keep it. (laughs) Life is short. I'm going to buy a new one. Because sometimes it's not worth going back, right? And so Moses is thinking that. He's like, there's no way. I'm not going back anywhere. Moses said to God, verse 11, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You've got to read between the lines in this story. Moses is not asking who he is. Moses knows exactly who he is. That's the problem. He knows who he is. And he knows that the only way to step foot back in Egypt is at the same time to step foot back in his past. A past that in his mind disqualifies him from ever being called anywhere again by God, let alone back to Egypt. And can't you relate to that? I mean, I think we all can relate to that, can't we? How many of us have said or would say to God, if he were to call us into something, 
that we've been a part of in the past. Like, no way, God, no, no way. Who am I? And at the same time, if you're struggling with addiction, is not the best person to help you the person who also has struggled with addiction and had the guts to go back to where they were in order to move forward to where they're going now? If you have relational issues with who you're married to or your kids or at work or whatever, is not the best person to help you the person that has also experienced those same things? And they've gone back and they've been able to move forward to where it is that they're going. Is that not the person that you're going to want to go to as well? And what you start to pick up on as you see that play out in Scripture over and over again is that this is not actually a book about any of the people in the book. It's not. There's lots of people in this book. But it's never about them. It's always about God. This story is God's story, and it's the story of a God who can and do, will do what he has promised to do, forgive, redeem, and send out. And he will do that over and over again in your life as he has throughout all of history, regardless of your past, regardless of who you are, because when you find yourself in the story of God, it's no longer about you, it's about God. It's about him. And you get to be entered into his story. And let me tell you, his story is incredible. It's better than any story you and I could ever write. And yet when you're standing in the middle of the wilderness and you've been hiding for a while and you're terrified and a burning bush is talking to you and it's beeping at you and it's calling you to go back, you ask some existential questions, don't you? Questions like, who am I? And I wonder if that's exactly what God wanted Moses to ask. Because when he asks that question, this is the way God answers verse 12. God says, I will be with you. Verse 11, Moses says, who am I? Verse 12, God answers, I will be with you. It's an interesting answer to that question. But he answers it that way because Moses is being called into a life that is infinitely greater than the one that he can live right now hiding in the fields of Midian. And he is not going to experience it if he goes there alone. He needs God to be with him. And friends, the same truth is true for you too. If you're hiding, come back. God promises to be with you. And your future is a lot brighter than the past as well. And if Moses is ever going to go, he knows he can't go on his own. And so does God, which is why God says, I will be with you. In verse 12, he says, this will be a sign to you that it is I who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Notice that God does not give Moses any of the details about the future that Moses has in store. Because frankly, if he did, Moses would probably fall face first into the burning bush and die right there, right? Like, have you ever seen Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments? Have you ever read this story before? You know what's, what it is, right? You got the plagues. You got the Egyptian army running after them. You've got, you've got the, the parting of the Red Sea. Moses is going to lead a group of people that are like a bunch of whining toddlers the entire time. And they're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And then he's not even going to be able to enter into the promised land. If he was told all of that, he never would have left. 
And the truth is, if you look back at your own life, I mean, if you've lived a little bit of life, just think, if God showed you a decade ago or two decades ago all of the challenges that you would face, would you believe God either? I mean, would you have the guts to carry on knowing how hard different seasons of our life can be? And yet at the same time, when you look back, can you, can, you, can you not argue that God has been present with you in ways that maybe you didn't even know at the time, but it's got to be God that's the one that carried you through them? See, God gives Moses something better than the knowledge of the future, even better than self-awareness. You know, we're all about that these days, and there's something really good about getting aware of who we are, but what's even better is to know who God is, because knowing who God is shows us who we were made to be in him. And before he defines any of that, he says to Moses, I will be with you. He gives Moses his presence. Verse 13, Moses says to God, okay, suppose I go. He's thinking about it. (laughs) You like that? Suppose I go. Not committing. I haven't signed yet. I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? I'm going to stump God. That's what he thinks. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Do you know what the word I am is in Hebrew? It's the verb hayah. It means I am here. I am Coming. I have come. I am present. When they ask who I am, God says to Moses, don't tell them who I am. Tell them where I am. I am with you. And I think about anything I've ever learned about pastoral care in seminary and classes and books I've read. And you know what? I could have saved a lot of time and a lot of money because 99% of the time when I'm sitting with somebody who's struggling in any season of life, do you know the one thing they need to know too? God is with them. (laughs) You know the one thing I need to know in the midst of those seasons in life? That God is with me. And that's what God gives Moses. Because if God was with them and him back there, and if he's with them right now, what they're about to learn is that God is going to be with them forever. And you know what? That takes a lifelong journey to figure out, doesn't it? And it's on the journey that we learn that. We don't ever really understand God's presence until we've been plucked out of our circumstances, sometimes against our will, have we? I don't think we learn the depth of God's presence in our lives until we've hidden from God's presence for a season. And God has given us the faith to step out of the shadows and out of the darkness and to follow him into the abyss, or so it feels. St. John of the Cross calls it the dark night of the soul. And if you're a Christian for any length of time, you are going to go through it too. You go to church and you hear all the positive things and all that stuff, and, and we miss the reality that sometimes we hide. Sometimes we don't hear God's voice. Sometimes there's 400 years of slavery and we wonder how could this possibly be used by God for our good and the blessing of the world. But that's the story. It's the story of Moses and friends, it's the story of you and me too. And we're only at the beginning. God wasn't just calling Moses. He's calling the whole world back to himself. 
And he's going to do exactly that when he sends generations later his son Jesus, who is plucked out of heaven and placed on earth, not just to be one who parts the sea, but to be the great I am. So that when the disciple Thomas would ask him the question, when he says, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, Thomas says, where are you going? We don't know the way. What does Jesus say? Does he give him a map? Does he give him Google Maps or Apple Maps or an AirTag or a GPS? No. He says, if you want to know the way, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus says, everyone is welcome to the Father. Come through me. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to step into our past and our present, to pour over anything that is filled with shame, anything that we feel led to hide from, so that in our sin and our death, it can be taken on the cross, it as far as the east is from the west that he took upon himself, so that all we need to imagine starting today is a future where we will never, ever be alone again, and you're actually not even alone right now, because God is with you you. Amen? Amen. Who is God? What is his name? These are the questions answered for us in the book of Exodus. God raises up a deliverer, a man named Moses, and discloses who he is by speaking out of a bush engulfed in flames. God tells Moses who he is by God telling Moses his name. Who is God? God is I am. And I am was with them when he heard and responded to Israel's cries. I am was with them when the plagues came down before Pharaoh's eyes. I am was with them when he saved Israel and punished Egypt in the Red Sea. I am was with them when he gave manna for the people to eat. I am was with them on the mountain when he made his glory and power prominent. I am was with them in the tabernacle when he filled the tent with his glory as he had promised. I am was with them because that's who God is. A God who enters into our story, working behind, among, through, above, everything in the world to show us his glory. Who is God? God is I am. But there is more to this picture. There is more of God to be seen in the pages of Exodus. For everything the I Am did through Moses, he did in an even greater way through Jesus. Jesus was with us by becoming human as a response to our cries. Like Moses stepped out of Egypt, this new deliverer stepped out of heaven and walked by our side. Jesus was with us because the true plagues of sin and death had made their takeover. So Jesus became sin and was pinned under death so these plagues might pass us over. Jesus was with us by falling under the waves to open a gracious path of dry ground so that we who deserve to be lost in the water like Egypt instead, like Israel, can be found. 
Jesus is with us today in our deepest hungers and hardest strife. For through his spirit and word, he provides for us like he provided for Israel. But this time, we get the bread of life. Jesus is with us as God was on the mountain with Moses. But instead of man climbing up to find God, Jesus came down and found us. Jesus was and is and will be with us because as his body was opened, so was the tabernacle tent. So he can make us and the world his dwelling, both now and when he comes again. Who is God? Who has he revealed himself to be in the pages of Exodus? He is, I am, he is with us. God is our rescuer. God is Jesus.